0: Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hi everyone, Dan Amander here. On behalf of all of us at Cardiners, we are thrilled to bring you our Decipher the Guidelines series for the 2022 AHA-ACC-HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. Get ready for short and bite-sized, high-impact, clinical vignette-based questions designed to highlight core concepts based on cutting-edge evidence that are relevant to your practice. The cases we use are hypothetical and for educational purposes only. This series was developed by Cardiners and created in collaboration with the American Heart Association and the Heart Failure Society of America. It was created by 30 trainees spanning college students through advanced fellowship with mentorship from Dr. Anu Lala, Dr. Robert Menz, and Dr. Nancy Schweitzer. We thank Dr. Judy Bizanson and Dr. Elliot Antman for their guidance. So join us as we get to learn about the guidelines and beyond from 16 leading faculty experts. With that said, it's time to get nerdy. <laughs> The following question refers to section 5.1 of the 2022 AHA-ACC-HFSA guideline for the management of heart failure. The question is asked by Keck School of Medicine, USC medical student and CardioNerds intern, Hirsch L. Hunts, answered first by Greater Baltimore Medical Center, Medicine resident and Johns Hopkins, Master of Public Health student and CardioNerds Academy fellow, Dr. Ala Diab, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Beacon Boskert. Dr. Boskert is the Marion Gordon-Kane Chair, Professor of Medicine, Director of the Winter Center for Heart Failure Research, and an Advanced Heart Failure and Transplant Cardiologist at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. She is the former president of the HFSA, former Senior Associate Editor for Circulation, and the current Editor-in-Chief for Jack Heart Failure. Dr. Boskart was the Vice Chair of the Writing Committee for the 2022 Heart Failure Guidelines. We are honored to have her here to discuss.
1: Thank you for that introduction. It's a great honor for me to be with you at Nerds. This is a fantastic platform for timely and insightful conversations in cardiology and heart failure. Thank you for your invitation.
0: Mark, thanks so much for that intro. Ala, so my question for you today is about a 63-year-old man with coronary artery disease status post-cabbage three years prior. He's got type 2 diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and tobacco use disorder, and he's presenting for a routine follow-up. His heart rate is 65 beats per minute, and his blood pressure is 125 over 70. On physical exam, he's breathing comfortably with clear lungs and with normal JVP, a regular rate and rhythm without murmurs or gallops, and no peripheral edema. His medications include aspirin 81 milligrams daily, atorvastatin 80 milligrams daily, lisinopril 20 milligrams daily, and metformin 1000 mg BID. His latest hemoglobin A1c is 7.5%, and recent NT-proBNP was normal. His latest transthoracic echo showed a normal biventricular size and function. Which of the following would be a good addition to optimize his medical therapy? So option A is a DPP-4 inhibitor. Option B is a dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker. Option C is an SGLT-2 inhibitor. And option D is furosemide. And so Ali, you know, I would love your help figuring out what the best treatment for this patient would be right now.
2: Thank you, Hirsch. That's a great question. The correct answer here is C, SGLT2 inhibitor. The patient is at risk for heart failure, which makes him a stage A, given absence of signs and symptoms of heart failure but presence of coronary artery disease, and several risk factors including diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and tobacco smoking. At this stage, the focus should be on risk factor modification and prevention of disease onset. Healthy lifestyle habits such as maintaining regular physical activity, normal weight, blood pressure, and blood glucose levels, healthy dietary patterns, and not smoking reduce primordial risk and have been associated with a lower lifetime risk of developing heart failure. Multiple randomized controlled trials in patients with type 2 diabetes and at risk for or with established cardiovascular disease or at high risk for cardiovascular disease have shown that SGLT2 inhibitor prevent heart failure hospitalizations compared with placebo. The benefit for reducing heart failure hospitalizations in these trials predominantly reflects primary prevention of symptomatic heart failure, because only approximately 10 to 14 percent of participants in these trials had heart failure at baseline. As such, in patients with type 2 diabetes and either established cardiovascular disease or a high cardiovascular disease risk, SGLT2 inhibitor should be used to prevent hospitalizations for heart failure. And this is a class 1 level of evidence A recommendation. The mechanisms for the improvement in heart failure events from SGLT2 inhibitor have not been clearly elucidated but seem to be independent of glucose lowering. Proposed mechanisms include reductions in plasma, volume, cardiac preload and afterload, alterations in cardiac metabolism, reduced arterial stiffness, and interaction with the sodium-potassium exchanger. SGLT2 inhibitors are generally well-tolerated, but these agents have not been evaluated in those with severe renal impairment, with an estimated GFR less than 25. So I think here the main takeaway, it's that important to identify patients who are at risk for heart failure and focus on risk factor optimization to prevent disease onset and progression. Dr. Boskert, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the benefits of SGLT2 inhibitor in patients with stage A or at
1: risk for heart failure. Thank you for that introduction. So this patient is the prototype of typical patients that were included in the prevention studies with SGLT2 inhibitors in the cardiovascular field. Prevention of heart failure trials were large-scale randomized clinical trials looking at the role of SGLT2 inhibition compared against placebo in individuals with either cardiovascular disease or cardiovascular risk. And when treated with SGLT2 inhibitors, these individuals with diabetes had markedly reduced risk of development of heart failure in the future. This risk reduction was concordant across all trials And these trials included MPAREG, CANVAS, DECLARE, and um, VIRTIS-CV, cardiovascular trial. And all of those concordantly showed approximately 30% risk reduction in future development of heart failure amongst patients with diabetes with cardiovascular risk or cardiovascular disease. Now, the interesting concept was this was the first recognition of the role of SGLT2 inhibitors in heart failure. We recognize that they prevented heart failure. Subsequent studies that were conducted in amongst patients with heart failure with reduced EF, as well as heart failure with preserved EF and mild reduced EF, demonstrated significant benefit with SGLT2 inhibitors for reduction in cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalizations amongst patients with heart failure, regardless of diabetes. So the spectrum of what we know with SGLT2 inhibitors is They do prevent heart failure amongst patients with diabetes, with cardiovascular disease or cardiovascular risk, and they prevent hard endpoints of cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalizations, as well as improve quality of life and improve renal outcomes in patients with heart failure regardless of diabetes. In this patient, which has stage A heart failure due to established Cardiovascular disease, i.e., he's got history of coronary artery bypass surgery, and is with diabetes. SGLT two inhibitors are a class one recommendation for future prevention of heart failure. The interesting question may come: All patients with diabetes have future risk of heart failure. How will we know which patient to treat with SGLT two inhibitors versus other agents such as GLP one receptor agonists, which also have been associated with reduce major adverse cardiovascular endpoints. So in this context, sometimes determining a higher risk for heart failure in patients with diabetes, either by risk scores, algorithms, or by natriuretic peptide-based screening, comes into the discussions and the debates whether those kind of risk stratification will help us determine who would benefit more from SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with diabetes. The other important concepts that you touched on is in an individual with stage A heart failure, we have to have a holistic approach for risk modification, risk factor modification, optimal control of blood pressure, optimal management of cardiovascular disease, ischemic heart disease, which is critical for this patient, multidisciplinary management of valvular heart disease, if there is evidence of valvular heart disease, and perhaps appropriate lifestyle modifications across the whole continuum of stages of heart failure are critical. And in an individual who's at risk for heart failure, such as this individual, natriuretic peptide-based screening can also help and in this individual, natriuretic peptide levels were obtained and were found to be normal. The question may come whether that needs to be repeated in the future, which currently is being uh, discussed as a potential an annual consideration as was done in the STOP-HF trial. So overall, this individual definitely would benefit from switch to SGLT2 inhibition for management of diabetes along with optimal management of uh, risk factors and comorbidities.
0: Dr. Bosker, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to answer this question for us.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you.